everyone. This is your humble reader today with the next episode of X80750 Errata. This is episode two. And remember, if you like this story, it's available on Amazon.com and at www.osuz504.tech. That's osuz504.tech. And be sure to check out Ozzy's new long-running story of the week posted on the homepage for your viewing pleasure. Uh, this one is called Bad Company, second-person experience with the reader playing a character named Burke. Now, on to the story. Freedom in the long dark, falling forever into the night. I would take the shift into manual every night if I could get away with it. Michael would be upset, which was almost enough reason to do it. The command center is boring. It should be exciting, but I sit waiting for something to go wrong. Sometimes the indicator lights blink red and I feel that cold nausea rise up in fear and excitement. Somewhere along the line, emotions got mixed up. I can't tell the difference between them anymore. Fear and excitement, loneliness and contentment, they're all confused. I entertain myself by envisioning emergencies. I picture it sometimes, the red flash, the sudden squeal of metal and plastic as the rushing void consumes us and snuffs us out. In a vacuum, the human body can survive up to 10 seconds, but the expanding gases and liquids within our skin will tear us to pieces before breathing would become an issue. In the event of a suit malfunction, the cold will kill you in 10 minutes or less, depending on the level of damage to the suit. In the event of an oxygen failure, you'll drift to sleep and never wake up in plus or minus 15 minutes, depending on the rate of leakage. On this new planet, if we ever get there, the ways to die will be infinite. I can't wait to think up a few. But it's quiet tonight. The computer hums with the little self-satisfied sound that says all is well. There's nothing but great rivers of blackness on either side of the viewing screen, like always, stretching out forever. I sit with my feet up on the console, staring out the viewing windows. Andrew closes them whenever he's on duty, and I don't know about Michael. Michael. His name didn't hurt in my brain like usual. Maybe the medications were good for something after all. In the silence, I could hear the ringing in my ears and something ticking. Ticking? I can't stand this. It's only been a few months. Why did anyone put me in charge? God, I want to go home. What was that? My feet came down and my heart flew into my throat, a different kind of fear than usual. Stop it, stop it. Don't be afraid. You have to hold it together, man. I whirled, lit the sodium lights, and watched the shadows yawn against the console. But there was nothing there. I'm okay. There's nothing here. It was just my imagination. Right? I paused, listening to the ringing in my ears and my pounding heart. But I was alone. There was nothing but silence. And this is why you shouldn't mess around with brain chemistry, I thought. Was that a hallucination? Am I going insane? Uncertainty quantification. Uncertainty quantification may be considered the systemic exploration of physical characterization and ambiguity reduction by attempting to isolate and eliminate certain outcomes based on experiential assumptions. This method of statistical analysis is particularly common in the natural sciences and engineering due to the complexity of most modeling scenarios and challenges in data collection. Mathematical insights and practical applications. Sebastian Bautista rolled his head back and forth and tried to work some feelings back into his hands. This was the third emergency transport this month to his unit, and frankly, he was getting worn out. Where are they? He whispered glancing out into the docking bay and checking the crash cart contents without really seeing them. You think it's going to be another bad one? The slender black girl next to him picked at her uniform nervously. What's going on, Bat? I don't know, he said. I hope this one is still alive. Bautista shivered a little at her words. The last medical emergency had resulted in them opening the biopod and finding a liquefied mass of flesh a puddle of blood and body fluids. The EMTs had been at a loss. He was fine when we sedated him and put him in there, said one, as the other turned to throw up in one of the waste receptacles. That's the second time this week. It was probably some kind of infectious disease. 
patients reported hallucinations, bizarre psychosomatic symptoms, and then they all just sort of decomposed or liquefied or just died for no reason anyone could understand. But Batista was an infectious disease and containment specialist, so they came here to him, hoping he could help. Nichols tapped the glass. There, she said, I see them. Coming in hot, Batista murmured to himself. To her, he said, you taped up? Check your containment. Vent the corridor. She nodded, and he felt the pressure change that meant they were in a vacuum. Ready. His implant displayed the emergency landing code request from the station master. Batista approved it, hitting the quarantine protocols to bring the ship into the landing dock. Here we go, he murmured. There was a gentle thunk as the ship connected to the dock and opened up the access ports. Doors swished open. Two fully encapsulated emergency medical technicians in environ suits fast walked down the corridor, pushing a biopod. Bautista checked the sensor panel on the front automatically and saw a yellow light blinking. Hurry, he said to Nichols and grabbed the crash cart to meet them partway. Hey, hey, hold up! He waved the text to a stop. Close your ship door and pop the top here. The EMTs looked at each other. It's easier to keep containment out here in case this thing is contagious, said Bautista. Pop it and we'll see what's going on. One of the techs nodded and punched in his code. The cover slid off the biopod like a coffin and Bautista pressed a superstitious shiver. It was a girl, alive, thank God. Thank God, said Nichols beside him. She's still alive, in unconscious imitation of his thoughts. Help me, said Bautista as they extended the biopod floor and transferred the girl onto a, the magnetic cart. Nichols stabilized her head as they hooked her up to oxygen and fluids and ran her through a decontamination sequence. He checked the readouts, nothing to indicate she was contagious, but there hadn't been for the other ones either. Who is she? He asked one of the techs as her vitals stabilized and Nichols took the PCR. The man checked his interface. Akasha Singh. Second lieutenant, engineer on one of the advanced colonization teams. Accident on the terraform. What kind of accident? asked Nichols. The girl's skin was pale and smooth. No blood, no wounds, no broken bones. The EMT shrugged. No idea. The doctor said she needed to be kept sedated and her genetic structure wouldn't stay still. What, like a retrovirus? Bautista reviewed the chart on his interface as Nichols wrapped the girl up in thermal blankets and set up the containment bed around her to move her into the base. The EMT shrugged again. I don't know, man. Above my pay grade. The doc did say that it probably wasn't transmissible because she and the rest of the girl's crew are mostly fine. Mostly? The captain's having problems, but nothing that fits this. Well, that's good to know. The chart was pathetically brief, and Bautista let out a little sigh. He'd let the emergency doctors have at her, too. They'd have to pull in a couple experts for this, obviously, but she seemed to be stable for now. Thanks, guys. Be safe. Nichols nodded as she started to move the patient into the base. Another weird one, huh, boss? At least this one seems pretty strong. Yeah, that's something, I suppose. Hurry up. Let's get her warm and settled before the docs get a hold of her. What's going on, he thought again for the thousandth time. What's happening to these people? Medical record 11599, Nightingale Station. Subject admitted under emergency conditions. No virus identified. Contagion unlikely. Evidence of past lysergic acid diethylthiamide abuse. High levels of mutated constrained peptides resulting in retrograde RNA modifications, variable type. Significant brain damage, potentially from prior drug abuse. However, Scaled lesions indicate potential prion exposure. No current prion presence identified in blood testing. Subject admitted for recovery, non-contagious, scheduled for release. Some years later. Section 2. Let S of X be a subset of metric space X and D. Then S is pathwise connected if, for each pair of points X and Y in S, there is a continuous function F, bracket 0, 1, sub S, from the metric space 0 to 1, Euclidean, into the metric space S sub D, such that the function of X and F of 1 equals Y. 
Such a function f is called a path from x to y in s. s is pathwise disconnected if it is not pathwise connected. Michael Barnsley. Conformal mapping. Mathematically speaking, a conformal map is simply any function that preserves angles but not linear distances. This type of mapping technique may be described in terms of a Jacobian derivative matrix for coordinate transformations. However, more practically speaking, conformal mapping allows for the interpretation of complex analytic functions through geometric means. This is particularly helpful for integrating several dynamic or complex models as in biology, neurology, or complexity theory. By using these mapping techniques, researchers can encompass a broad range of possible dynamic phenomenon in a single relationship and can model pattern recognition, synchronization, spontaneous self-assembly, and many other natural phenomena. Mathematical Insights and Practical Applications Welcome to Nowhere. The words stuck out black and bold on the landing dock's gateway arch. Someone had spray-painted over the original name of the facility in a large hateful X and written nowhere on it with the bleak desperation of a craftsman stuck on another world, a long way from home. I stared at it for a moment and settled my kit more comfortably on my back, my new home. I could appreciate the nice undercurrent of anti-authority and hatred that seemed to be culturally acceptable here. It seems like the labor force got a bad deal no matter where humanity found a toehold. Shaky scaffolding ran sharply to the left and right of the transfer dock as more landing pads were being constructed. The heavy steel, a sort of homesick reminder that our worlds were over and we were all stuck here. Another day, another dollar, I thought. Another place to fuck up. Ding. Welcome to Exploration, Engineer Second Class Sing. My automatic uplink resonated in my skull, startling me as I stood on the landing dock, avoiding responsibility for just another couple moments. I hated the thing. Every time you were in the middle of something, ding, you have a call. Ding, your update is due in four hours. Ding, 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 stupid thing. The uplink projected the facility welcome packet on my glasses. Miles of rules, regulations, and bureaucratic crap scrolled on the dark-tinted surface. Jesus. Employee number, bunk number, location number, meal hour, personal time hour, shift assignment. It didn't end. My life is a number, scrolling on and on, reflecting hollowly on the, hollowly on the gorilla glass. The glasses themselves could withstand 400 metric tons of force per square centimeters. I had personally thrown them under a ground transport, smashed them with a crane, buried them under mining ore 50 meters below the earth, and during one memorable experience, went after them with a ball-peen hammer after yet another bullshit passive-aggressive email from my boss. So far, glasses four, knee zero. My former partner had gotten them for me after I destroyed the last set so completely that no one could get in touch with me for a week. For God's sake, Singh, he'd said. You can't just disappear off the grid whenever you get into a snit. Take the damn glasses. Shut up. Play by the same rules as everyone else. A shake of long hair. His face always reminded me vaguely of a rabbit. Snub nose, soft eyes, big ears. A mechanical engineer. Those guys were so sensitive. All of them. He pushed his own immaculate platinum and sapphire glasses up that stubby nose and gave me a long-suffering look. We have to work together, and I can't deal with having to talk to you every five minutes. Take the glasses and answer your phone. I couldn't see why talking to someone had to be so difficult. It worked for 4.5 billion years before these stupid uplinks came along, I grumbled to myself at the memory, and scanned through the welcome packet. Bunk, food, report. I sighed. Another assignment, another chance to be quote-unquote difficult and reassigned someplace even more remote so whoever was in charge didn't have to listen to me. <sighs> I hefted my bag to settle it better on my back and went through the welcome tunnel, turning towards the corridor labeled H, per my glasses instruction. The whole place reminded me of a hospital, and I got that creepy, claustrophobic feeling I always got in hospitals, at least since the accident. Something about the way the floors were too clean and too shiny, and everything looked the same, smelled the same, like disinfectant mixed with burned coffee. Ugh. A small man in white, head down, hurried past me. No eye contact, no curiosity. Well, techies were weird at the best of times. I should know. 
Still, there were supposed to be all of 50 women out of close to 3,000 people here. You'd think a new female face would at least warrant some curiosity. Maybe my reputation preceded me. The thought made me smile savagely to myself. I do take great pride in being difficult. Corridor H, Wing 8, Room 486. My life is a number. I press my palm to the keypad. Ding. You do not have access to this location. Please contact your system administrator. I frowned and brought up the welcome packet again with the bunk assignment and scowled angrily at the door. Pressed my palm to it again. Stupid goddamn tech. Spend 14 days on a goddamn transfer drinking my meals and sitting pressed into a G-suit and all I want is a stupid bunk with a stupid solid meal, but no. Ding. You do not have access to this location. Please contact your system administrator. I am the goddamn administrator, you piece of shit. This is my assigned personal location. Hal, connect to and sync with the personnel database for Exploration 3. Verify identity and location assignment. Hal, my avatar, and Ding Master dinged, and a vague buzzing sound echoed in my head. Everyone said that it was impossible, that you couldn't hear the avatar working, and that it was supposed to be a seamless link between your neurocortex and the web. They lie. They also don't get why he's named Hal when the voice is female, which is probably why I don't make friends. Ding. You have been connected to personnel manager third class X. Autumn. Manager Otten, this is A. Singh reporting to personnel quarters. There seems to be a mix-up somewhere, and I do not have access to my bunk. Ding. Stupid ding. Oh, uh, welcome, A. Singh. Did you try holding your palm to it? Gee, no. I just walked up to the door and asked it very nicely to let me in. Fuck. Yes, Manager Otten, I initiated standard security protocols and was denied entry. Please confirm if this is my assigned location. Dumbass. Oh, and it's engineer first class. Could that have been the mix-up? I hate you so much. Oh, yes. I see your file was incorrectly placed under the craft laborers, not the techs. One moment, please. Stupid Imran. Just had to get one little last dig at me before I escaped his reign of terror? Petty little tyrant of a tiny little kingdom. Assholes, all of them. Engineer First Class Singh, your identity has been confirmed. Please try again. I spared a moment of gratitude that they hadn't installed the automatic telepathic uplink as a requirement of this position. I wasn't particularly good at hiding my disgust for the vast majority of the human race, and if I didn't have friends now, they would run me out with torches and pitchforks once that little demon got installed in my brain. I pushed my palm against the biosensor. The little light turned green. Ding! Welcome, Engineer Second Class Singh. You have been registered as arrived. Weird, I thought, registering the demotion from the sensor, but too tired to follow up immediately. I thanked the HR lady and disengaged Hal, Hal from the facility link. Whatever. At least I can get into this stupid room. I'll mess with it later. I swear I can hear the constant buzzing of all the neurocomo rushing around me. They say that that is impossible. I open the door. Pea soup green walls, bare floors, no windows, cramped as a decom box. Yep, just as depressing as the last one. My old partner, something of a history guy, said that all these forward operating facilities were based on submarines and ships from the old Earth Navy. Thus, although I got the bunk to myself, it was tiny. One fold-up bed, storage underneath, a combination bath facility rotated into the wall when not in use. A tiny chair and table that could metamorphose into a computer docking station, a dining room table, and that was it. Oh, but hello, you can program the walls. I scanned through the standard ocean scenes, cityscapes, pastoral field vision, boring, 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 before settling on a desert that glowed orange and purple during the day and lit up with a complete replica of the Milky Way seen from the northern hemisphere on old Earth at night. That was nice. Ding. Attention, your superior officer has requested a meeting with you in the rock room in 15 minutes. Will you accept? Hal threw up a map showing where I was to working until my untimely death, if the guild had anything to say about it. Fine. Accepted. Directions, please, Hal. 
My glasses had lost their tint now that I was inside, and the maze of corridors and twists underground made me glad that I hadn't destroyed this pair quite yet. There were some uses for evil, after all. Twenty minutes later, I was again staring into the tiny, black, piggy eyes of a bureaucratic mite. This guy and my old boss, Imran, could have been twins. Is there a maximum height requirement to become Captain Douchebag? Somewhere around 5'4", nearsighted, balding, the look of every ranking engineer I've ever encountered. So far, two had fired me, and they all looked like this guy. Even the director of the engineering guild looked like this. No wonder I didn't fit in. A six-foot Indian woman built like a rugby player. Fuck my life. You are late, Engineer Singh. He busied himself with ordering his desk in what had to be a nervous twitch. What is it with these people? Very sorry, sir. There was a slight mix-up with my personnel files that delayed me. You arrogant asshole. 14-day flight, and you want to see me within an hour of landing? Such a cunt. I was standing as I had been taught, modified parade rest, feet shoulder-width apart, hands linked loosely behind my back, staring at the little bugger. This pose seemed to make all of them nervous, which is why I continued to do it, just living up to my reputation. I understand that you have been moved from two other facilities near the homeworld. He sat down a little awkwardly before standing up again and pacing to the window. Two other facilities. And before that, you were removed from military service, is that correct? The little mouse tried to stare down his nose at me. Hard, since I had a foot of height and 50 pounds on him. Such an amateur, I thought. That is correct. I rocked back on my heels a little and said, Honorably, medically discharged from military service. Sir, I'm a disabled veteran. I wanted to rub a little guilt into him, if we were going to have this conversation the way I thought we were. My first opportunity to be labeled as difficult. One of many, I hoped. He sat down a little more at ease, as if being reminded that I was broken made me less scary. Yes, I've heard about your attitude, and let me tell, me, tell you that that kind of behavior will not be tolerated. He took a deep breath, as if he was scolding a child, even wagged a finger at me. Ah, oh, sweet baby Jesus. It's like being admonished by a cartoon. Seeing this is it for you. If you mess this up, your only chance of survival will be down with the laborers, and let me tell you that their overseers are not nearly as forgiving as the techs. Bite me, you little pissant, like you know a goddamn thing about a laborer's life. But I put on my best, I'm not going to eat you face, and said only, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to contribute here on Explorer 3. Ridiculous propagandized name, bunch of bullshit. But he seemed satisfied. It's funny, I thought to myself. The only times I get in trouble are the times I tell the truth. Well, he continued, my name, as you know, is Supervisor Engineering First Class C. Elegans. I felt an invisible spurt of humor. Seriously? They expect me to work for a worm? How perfect. I laughed. To myself, of course. I will be your primary authority, he continued. You may come to me with any personnel concerns or administrative tasks, but I'll be leaving any technical consultation to Jay McIntosh. He leveled a stern eye on me. I will not be assisting you with your project. You will have to do your own work here, Engineer Singh. Son of a bitch thought I couldn't handle my own business. What did that asshole Imran say about me? The cold place inside me, the one that made me lose friends and contemplate murder in the mess hall, sat up and took notice. Anger rushed through me, as if because I have two X chromosomes, I'm incapable of doing anything other than having babies and picking out pretty wallscapes. You son of a bitch. Although I do have excellent taste. I said nothing, showed nothing, my face blank, just like I'd been taught. He cleared his throat awkwardly and motioned me through a door, back out into the main rock room as he pressed his hand to his temple, muttering, Connect J. McIntosh, request presence at Elegant's office. Stupid, overbearing, egotistical assholes. How did they think I passed the test? Slept with the automation administrators? Administrators? The mental image of trying to seduce one of the vending machine-sized random test calculators was briefly amusing, but only briefly. The more familiar feeling of helpless depression quickly washed into its place. It was always the same, no matter where I went. I walked through the door. The rock room was a materials lab. 
crap dug out by the miners made its way here to be tested, profile, and either sent for refining to one of the other corporate offices, sent to the metal lab for corporate R&D and synthetic restructuring, or sent to the guild, which was part of the more interesting labs, to see if there was another use for it. My usual place was in that more interesting lab, blowing things up, taking them apart on the molecular level to create nanoscale robots, tiny little nanotubes for wastewater processing, or pretty much doing whatever I wanted, with little or no interest in generating the fuels I was supposed to do for corporate or profiling substances for the massive database of real researchers. Mostly because that was boring. And why should a PhD get all the fun? I usually started out well enough, but got sidetracked into topics not related to my job relatively quickly. I'd learned to build those nanoscale robots at the last facility out of the Peacock Bright Iridium the miners gave us. I used a modified fractal Python code to reprogram DNA, for myself, of course, using genetic engineering techniques in the enzyme to code for spontaneous self-assembly of the little robots. Sure, they can only destroy stuff, since I didn't know how to program them with a purpose, and somehow their action code got wrapped up with my RNA unzipper enzyme on my DNA, so they took apart everything they touched, but how was I supposed to know that would happen? They were neat. And then when I was fired, they found out I'd been letting my partner do all the real work and I was just playing around with DNA, which is a valid point, I suppose, from their point of view. I contend it was an overreaction, since anyone with a brain could see that the work was boring as hell. The guild did not agree with me. Another smallish man was walking toward us. Thin, gangly, lank hair hung apathetically down to his shoulders. He looked like an abused puppy. I sighed. Yet another wet mop of a partner. But Elegance frowned at him. Where's Macintosh? I specifically wanted him up here to introduce him to his new... Well, to the new engineer. That little warning bell went off in my head again. Weird. The wet mop dropped his eyes and mumbled something about taking out his uplink and not being available to contact. My interest was piqued. What? Elegance leaned into him. What did you say? The mop cleared his throat and said, <clears throat> Macintosh said to tell you he's busy and you don't give a fuck anyway, so why don't you just send down the new guy with instructions not to touch anything and don't try to call him since he ripped out his implant and is no longer accepting digital communications. I laughed to myself deeply amused. Maybe Macintosh wasn't so bad. Elegant's mouth drifted open as he glared at the mop. How could you let him do this? I put you with him to keep an eye on him. Where were you while this barbarian was ripping out his implant? The mop shrugged helplessly. He stays down with the union all day. We're getting great stuff out of the mines, so he sent me up to do the paperwork while he did the field testing below. The overseer doesn't even bother going down there anymore. All the guys just like it. The mop shuddered a little. I hate it there, sir. It's so dark and dirty, and they're shouting all the time. It sounds like my kind of place. I leaned forward and, putting as much gentleness in my voice as I could, said, It sounds like he's kind of difficult. How about I just go down and meet him myself? How do I get down to the mines? Mop man nodded to a tiny staircase at the far end of the room. You just follow that until it stops. Once you get to the bottom, I don't know where he is. He looked all mournful for a second. We used to have a lift. It had nice lighting and everything, except Mac took it apart when the bosses started coming down too often. He sighed. He said that if they had to walk, no one would show, and he was right. We never had an inspection after that, but it's just so dark. And when you have to transfer mines out to the terraforming levels, everything is just sort of this huge windswept desert. His limp little hands sort of drifted together and twined fingers nervously. I just hate it out there. Uh-huh. I booked it for the staircase, and elegance didn't stop me. It seemed to wind forever. Within moments, I was in pitch darkness, easing my way from one lip to the other. I could feel a deep, primeval rumbling beneath me. Periodic snatches of machinery whining or the deep boom of explosives but the staircase went on and on. After a while, I started counting steps. At 139, my foot stopped on a concrete platform. There was a dim, red-yellow glow of sodium lights ahead and the rumble of heavy machines doing heavy work in the deep part of my chest reverberating from my feet. 
As my eyes adjusted, I could see the machine shop ahead, spitting sparks as the acetylene gases caught flame and the diamond cutter sharpened drill bits. Long tracks divided each of the shops as machinery moved from its maintenance bay to the ore recovery rooms and back to work up ahead on the forward ore wall. Explosives were packed like presents under a tree in the supply area, shrouded in flame-resistant fabric emblazoned with the words, We don't have it. Go fuck yourselves. Spray-painted in aggressive black letters. Charming. Seems supply people were the same. Military, civilian, planet-side, or orbit. Lovely people. This was my first experience in the deeps. Most female engineers were relegated to the labs up top. I'd heard of only one other female volunteering to go, and she'd had to get special dispensation to do it. The deeps were a combination oil well, army base, and railroad depot, and they were rough. Looks like Imran had a plan for me after all. What the hell? Couldn't be worse than boredom in a lab. I stepped off the platform towards the nearest shop. A cutter looked up from his work and lifted the flash mask. You lost, lady? Macintosh. I'm here for Macintosh. I had to shout over the whine of some engine coming online. It rattled and shook the air between us hard. He shook his head. Not here. Head to the drill. He gestured his torch vaguely in the direction of the track. Follow these until you hit the end. I took a step towards them, and he pulled me back roughly. Not in the track, you idiot. Why do you think they're there? Keep your eyes open and don't touch anything. Those tracks are live. I nodded, and he pulled the mask down and went back to work. I felt eyes on me as I carefully picked my way through the mess of shops and machinery, assiduously avoiding stepping into the tracks themselves. Occasionally, a blaring siren and a red light would go off, and a gigantic something would speed down the tracks, rushing somewhere. The first time, I jumped and held to the side as a screaming piece of metal shot about two inches from my face. Someone down the line shouted, Watch your face, girly, or the Michelin man will take it off. Laughter underneath the sounds of fire and screaming metal. Come to find out, there was a painted red line next to the tracks. Stay away from the red line, you don't die. The logic was nice. I walked for what seemed like miles. The men made eye contact, curious, nodded occasionally, and went back to work. A couple foremen strode over to ask my business, or just shoo me down the line following the tracks. The last one pulled a glove off to shake my hand as he shouted, My name's Billy! This is the diamond shop! When you get done with Macintosh, come back here, and we'll take you the shortcut to the up top. He grinned at me. Mac's getting too crazy to be working by himself. Needs some help. I'm glad you're here. That last guy weren't worth shit. I smiled and gave a thumbs up as another huge crash happened somewhere ahead. Billy mouthed something at me that I couldn't understand and pressed a pair of earplugs into my hand and mimed sticking them into my ears. He dug in his pack for something, coming up with a Kevlar wraparound helmet like the one he was wearing, and mime sticking it onto my head, and used a small adjuster wheel to adjust it for me. Thumbs up, he motioned me on. It was getting hotter and hotter, the ambient light turning a rich amber around me. Sprays of coal-black dust came from random shots in the dark, with huge booms happening more often. Occasionally, the near-silent whoosh of the Michelin man would brush past me, stirring a sleeve or a hair. But in the silence of the earplugs, all I could hear was my own heart beating and the rumblings of some mechanical dragon at the head. Finally, the tracks looped into a curve and hell opened up before me. A huge cavern of a pit lit with sodium lights as gigantic trucks heaved earth aside into magnetized cars rolling past me. A sudden, sick, snapping sound, raw even through the earplugs, and a burst of flame as an engine failed. Men like ants surrounded it, hauling the driver out, damping fire, yelling for cutters and a replacement engine. But they were too far away for me to hear. The Michelin Man car I'd been following was pulled next to the truck on a magnet platform, magnetic platform. And a robot the size of my old office lifted the cut engine out of the truck, putting a new one in, sending the Michelin Man to the track with a push. The car shot back into the darkness of the corridor, rushing past me. The truck, newly revived, revved up, and work continued. Everything concentrated on the huge drill at the center. It was as big as a ground transport, with rotating cutters made from diamonds and tungsten carbide and anything else they could find hard enough to cut, its face buried in the mound of rock ahead. To its left, a deep pit with pipes running out of it like, metallic, like a metallic spider web. To the right, a smelter where raw, glittering something melted, mixed with carbon, and emerged as metal. 
Some men were using bots to move huge girders underneath the drill, shoring up and stabilizing the tunnel. Other shapes and sizes of metal moved on great magnetic cars back out to the fabrication shops. Other men used the trucks to move raw material into stations that took ore back to the uptop for testing or manipulation or production. It was a spectacular ballet. The cavern must have been miles deep. I could vaguely see a yellow staircase leading down to a platform. Men with clipboards and drafting tables stood there yelling at each other in what seemed like a productive way. It must be a design meeting. I know this because nothing strikes fear into the heart of a working man like a group of engineers with clipboards. I picked my way over to the stairs, down into the cavern. It was even more spectacular at eye level. The metal spider web was obviously pulling up some kind of liquid, two men stabilizing a drill and another manipulating the great bot that was holding the well together. A chemist had staked out a relatively peaceful flat spot to run field characterizations of whatever they were pulling up. He had the focused look of someone very good at his job, running very late and looking for a very different answer than the one he had. A, com a combined frown of concentration, panic, and disappointment masking the dirt scrub features and black hands. The engineering station was one level down, a flat table surrounded by a dozen people, all in hard hats, all gesturing wildly. As I worked my way down to the level, the horrendous noise suddenly stopped, and all I could hear was the angry buzzing of the field supervisors. Cone of silence. Cool. I popped out the earplugs. A man that looked vaguely like a bear was the current shouter. You can't hold that much pressure down in the well. We have to get another relief valve up and running before the whole thing comes apart. You've been putting off the upgrades for four fucking weeks, and this is our most productive well of the ink. I know for a fact we bring in a third of the cash for this damn department. We ain't getting shit back. A third? This one had black hair and looked like a hockey player, down to the missing teeth. A fucking third? The smelter's the money maker. We keep that drill and fab shop open, and you want to shut us down for three days so you can add another robot to your stupid ink? We haven't had an upgrade ever. I got a man down with burns and a robot out of commission because your stupid roustabout lost the position on the well. Ruined my operation in the first place. Great, so your incompetence means we get punished? Bullshit. Another man made angry noises behind the hockey player, and the bear seemed to get even more pissed. A woman shouldered in, brown overalls lined with grease, and her short blonde hair bouncing in excitement. Oh, shut the fuck up, both of you. We can split the difference three ways. You build your temporary relief valve, Jim can rent one of the robots from Supply to help out, and I can get a new set of welding boxes since that last cave-in ruined my best set. The hell we can! I've been waiting for upgrades and I can't do shit with a temp valve. The Supply robot can only give me 30% lift ro ratio. I need at least 80 to make production. Well, God damn it! how are you going to like it if every cutter and fab back in the castle can't fix shit and all your precious engines go down in flames? There was more angry shouting and gesturing. I took a wild guess that those three were department heads and the angry cronies were second and third class assistants. Big day in the cavern, evidently. Another big guy stuffed himself between the bear and the hockey player. This one looked like a depressed scarecrow. Long features, long legs, sad face with dark skin stretched too tightly as if all the emotion was blowing it back around his bones. Shut up, shut up! He smacked Bear on the shoulder and shoved hockey player next to Blondie. Look, we've got to have the 30% design for upgrades complete for brass next week. I say we take Mel's advice, split the difference, request additional funding for each one of the specific projects. You know this money was just a stopgap anyway after the last collapse to keep us running. Bear opened his mouth to throw a fit. The black man held up his hands. It doesn't matter whose fucking fault it was. All right? Bear shut his mouth. It's done. We gotta figure out how to keep production up. You heard Mel? The uptop is shouting for more material and we've had brownouts twice due to fuel shortages. Nobody wants to kill off the civilians or strand the terraformers because we can't get our shit together. So Mel, write it up. I say we take the compromise and help each other instead of behaving like fucking kindergartners. Blondie nodded quick in victory, pulling a kid, maybe 17, next to her and writing out a couple requests. He nodded and took off on the staircase, glancing at me curiously. Evidently, Blondie ran a tight ship. The boy didn't stop, just stuck out his chin in a rough greeting and clambered up. Hockey player tapped Scarecrow and pointed to me. Looks like you got a visitor, Mac. Scarecrow seemed to look even sadder. Aw, oh, Christ, not another new guy. He pinched the bridge of his nose. 
always with the worst fucking timing. And that's my cue. I walked forward. Hate to rain on your little happy family party. A. Singh, engineer first class, your new partner, Mr. McIntosh. Black man looked down on me dourly. Christ, the guy must be seven feet tall. Wormy didn't tell you, huh? You ain't first class, you're second class, and you're not my partner, you're my assistant. Mac took a deep breath. Congratulations, you're demoted to the deeps. He waved a hand at the overwhelming cavern. With the rest of the misfits and the losers. Demoted? Demoted to goddamn second class? What the fuck? Mac looked at me as if he knew what was going on in my head. He probably does. It must be written all over my face. I know it sucks. But look, two firings and a change of departments from lab to deeps means you go back to second class. It's guild policy. Why didn't Elegance tell me himself? Max snorted. Because he's a little shit and he bails on anything difficult or uncomfortable. You should know the type by now. You've worked with some of the worst directors in the service. Come here. Jim, I'll get the specs for your stabilization shoring tonight. Hockey player grunted and waved as Mac pulled me into his tiny office. A Connex box perched on the side of the ledge. The door didn't close all the way. There was a broken fridge in the corner and an ancient printer wheezing on top of it. The place was crammed with maps and schematics. He was obviously a construction engineer, and the drill was his baby. Ghostly images of its operations manuals and guts were everywhere in the minuscule room. He waved me towards a folding chair and dropped into his own abused office chair, torn and smooshed. Little bits of stuffing poofed out of it as he settled in. Look, Sing. The deeps is big and mean. We run all the engineering and mining operations for half a dozen private, corporate, and military jobs out here. Everything from terraforming support to residential utilities. All of it funded by corporate. But it's a clusterfuck. Administratively, technically, financially. There only gets to be one first class down here, and that's me. Mostly so I can break heads. Every one of the men and women down here have screwed up in some way. Every one of them pissed someone off, did something they shouldn't have. Said something they shouldn't have that got them sent down here, voluntarily or involuntarily. He rubbed his forehead and rested his face in his hand, with his scrawny elbow leaning on the desk. Most of us took a demotion down here anyway, just like you. Hell, I used to be a chief engineer back in the day. I looked at my hands. Years of fighting to get some modicum of respect for the title, and it's gone, just like that. I gotta say, Mac, I knew this was coming. I just thought it would be a little more spectacular, you know? Like, go down in a blaze of glory, fighting the man and all that. He barked out a harsh bit of laughter. It's not so bad. Because it's such a shit show here, there's no politics, and I can kind of do whatever I want. No one wants to come down here and fight me for it. And I requested you when your file came up on the guild feed. I've got a job for your talents. He leaned in close and got that intense look on his face that I got on mine when something really really interesting was about to happen. Finally. Against my will, I felt a little stir of interest. Look, he said, you got a thing for biology. You got more scientific training from the service than most of my knuckleheads down here. I want you to take the terraform support. Run it for the service. My eyebrows went up. He nodded and raised his hand in warning. Now, you'd only be running the technical stuff. They got an up-topper army guy for project management, but they've currently killed or injured all their science and engineering consultants, and now no one will work for them, and it's not going well. We're running out of food and water on this rock, and someone needs to fix it, or we're going to lose a shit ton of cash and have to emergency evacuate in a couple months. Curiouser and curiouser, I thought. Danger and science? Together? This could be good. He nodded at me like he knew what was in my mind. Yep. You've got the military background, you've got the earth science mastery, and you've got a solid engineering background. And, the rumor is, another genuine smile of amusement at me, that you're difficult. I snorted with laughter. He leaned back. Well, that means you stand at least a, sm a small chance of surviving this whole experience. I didn't have to think about it. Not like I got a lot going on at the moment, Mac. Sure, I'll take terraforming. Who do I have to work with? Complex and hybrid systems. Complex systems may be characterized as any dynamic model generated from the relationships of many components. 
These systems are particularly useful for the quantification and modeling in the chemical reactions of living cells. For example, where the variables are chemical concentrations dynamically interacting over time. Hybrid systems, on the other hand, combine both discrete and continuous variables in a series of systems that may be considered complex on their own, but have different evolutions when exposed to each other and external stimuli. Mathematical Insights and Practical Applications Daniels Major Jared Daniels stared morosely at the nameplate sitting on his desk. Well, he tried to stare morosely at it. It was difficult because there were two or maybe three of the things rotating slowly in his field of vision. And he kept forgetting why he was trying to stare morosely at it. The advantages to drinking the new ethanol that the lab biologists had made up for him. Powerful stuff. The cute little brunette had offered to share with him until she recognized the name. Daniels? Jared Daniels? Oh my god, you're that bastard in terraforming. She stood up in horror. Disgust twisted her pretty red mouth into a wince. Um, no thanks. You can keep the bottle. She thrust it into his hand and walked out. Maybe if we're lucky, it'll kill enough brain cells to get you reassigned. Yep, that had gone well. Shithole of a planet. It was easier to think of the lab biologist than the last excursion. What with the screaming and the machine failures and watching a man get vacuumed through a metal pipe. Jesus. Jared downed another swallow of whatever this alcoholic brew was. It was bad enough that the guy had died. It was worse that he was just the last of many. They send him to this rat-fuck sector and he can't stop killing people. Jesus. And Mac had just told him they were giving him another one to butcher. A girl. Great, because the current load of guilt is just too light. He had wondered why the military conducted terraforming operations. Had wondered why he'd been promoted so young to this post without any scientific background. Well, that was easy. You had to order people to do something this dangerous, and who needs science when you can just kill them? He was dimly aware that there was something he was supposed to do. Something... The little receiver in his head was making a noise. That means... That means something. Oh, right. I have a phone call. He found his temple after a couple tries and managed to get out. Yep. Dan... Yep, Daniel's here. Or something close to it. Go... Go ahead, over. Mac's voice boomed through his head. Daniels, your new girl is waiting to meet you. Thought you might want to pull yourself together a little. New girl. Girls don't like me since I kill all those people by accident. Girl? What girl? He was reasonably proud that the statement almost sounded coherent. Sing, your new engineering advisor, you dumb fuck. Try not to kill this one off. She's good. Hey, fuck you, Mac. Another coherent statement. Good sign, or maybe the new sink all was wearing off. Jared stumbled away from the desk, aiming for the soft brown chair next to the window. The window where he could stare out at the empty, hauntingly beautiful desert that he was supposed to crush into submission. He didn't even understand half of the instructions in the standard manuals. This job blows. Mac made a noise sort of between a laugh, a sob, and a sigh. I know, man, but hey, I was looking up the historical death rates for terraforming, and you're actually the average. Statistically, you're doing the same bad job every other major has for almost the past decade. Good job. The major flopped into a chair, letting his spinning head recover for a minute. Go away, old man. He attempted to put his feet up on a footstool, but that was just too much effort. Even sitting up straight seemed like too much work. He stayed slumped where he'd fallen. Go away and take the new guy with you. I quit. I'm resigning tomorrow. Fuck this shit killing people in deserts moaning at him and that poor bastard getting his head sucked through a two-inch pipe. Jesus. Mac grunted. Get your game face on, Major. You can't quit. You're under contract. I'm sending her up to meet you tonight. The fuck you are? Jared slumped lower. I'm not gonna answer the door. Well, you want to eat, don't you? No Terra means no food or water, which means we all get fired. Jared didn't say anything. Fine, Max said. Then I'm coming up to get fucked up with you. Jared nodded dumbly before remembering that Matt couldn't see him through the interface. Yep, right. Come on over. Should be fun. That's the only reasonable thing to do in a situation like this. Another complete sentence. He was definitely sobering up. Can't have that. 
Jared came to, soggy, miserable, and staring at his bathroom ceiling. A strange woman stood over him, deep brown eyes, sharp feature, long limbs, short haircut, making him think she was some kind of bird of prey trying to decide if she could eat him. Somebody moaned pathetically, and he realized in a moment of clarity that his new subordinate was listening to him moan in possibly the most embarrassing and uninspiring position anyone could ever hope to be in. At least he wasn't naked. Okay, second most uninspiring situation. Still not saying much. The comforting threat of alcohol abruptly vanished. He was left staring at the ruins of his pride with a gigantic headache and a new set of problems staring at him impatiently. She obviously wanted something from him. And given that she didn't meekly bow out or go home like another techie would have done in this situation, he could probably assume that one, she didn't like the military. Two, they would discuss this at the most inopportune time, probably in the context of blackmail. And three, he really needed to pee. Really needed to pee. Shit. He levered himself up more comfortably on the floor of his shower and waved her away as she went to turn the water off. No, he croaked. Leave it. It feels good. Thank you. She nodded. Her eyes didn't leave his face, almost as if she was looking for something. Whatever it is, she won't find it in me, he thought. He let his head sag against the wall, cupping his hands to lave his face with the cool water. Just give me a second, all right? I'm I'm sorry, you just you just caught us at a rough time. He rubbed his face. Ah, who am I kidding? It's always a rough time. Just just give me a second. I'll be all right. Smoke them if you got them. She left. A memory. Captain, welcome, welcome. Jared blinked in surprise at the small, powerfully built man standing in front of him, commanding his attention away from the books. Away from his book. He shoved it into his briefcase and stood up in a hurry. Sir, uh, thank you so much for seeing me in person. I certainly wasn't expecting... He glanced around him at the elaborate office with real wood, real coffee, a rug that looked far too expensive and rare to be on the floor. All this. I'm honored to meet you, General. The older man chuckled and grabbed his hand for a rough shake. Of course you are. Of course you are. It's not every day that an infantry commander gets to visit a service headquarters. Uh, no, sir. General Ido gave him a quick look over and called to one of the aides sitting behind the massive wooden desk in the waiting room. Nichols, my love, get the captain something to eat. Real food. It looks like he hasn't seen the real stuff in a while. How long have you been deployed, son? Uh, just over five years now, sir. Oh, yes, yes. Here, come into my office. We need to talk, you and I. Jared followed him into another lavishly appointed room that looked like it could have been lifted whole from the earth that was. Something from a play or a novel. Silk. Leather. Real books with actual pages. He had to resist the urge to run his fingers along the spine just for the tactile sensation of the book. Here now, Captain. I understand that you're a university grad, not an academy? Jared tore his attention away from the books and tried to be interested in what the general wanted. Ido had positioned himself behind his desk and motioned Jared to one of the leather chairs, conveniently situated just slightly lower than the short man's line of sight. He settled in gingerly and was pleasantly surprised to feel comfortable. At least it's not another faster-than-light transport jumper, he thought, with a spurt of nausea from the last experience. I'll be glad to stay still for a minute or two. Uh, no, sir, I didn't qualify for the academy. I did major in history at Terra One, College of Humanities. Of course, of course. Ido tapped a digital pad. I can read all of that. I see you worked with a couple academy grads, managed to get yourselves out of a little trouble near Cygnus, handled yourself nicely. Jared swallowed a little at the memory of ice growing through the ship, of screaming as vacuum seals failed, of a man drowning as water poured from his insides in an uncontrollable stream. Uh, nicely seems like an imperfect word, sir. We don't really know what happened at Cygnus. It was like, like magic or something. Yes, I can only imagine. Ido paused, steepling his hands and giving Daniels a long, considering stare. Your report said that you considered it to be some new kind of genetic weapon, maybe from the Catalan. Something that activated dormant or vestigial or recessive gene expression instantaneously. Is that right? Uh, yes, sir, Jared shrugged. Or at least that's what my doc said. We don't know what else it could be. The cats are the only aliens we know of with any sort of genetic capabilities, and the people... 
he again saw the three officers in his mind's eye, skin warped, screaming, drowning in their own fluids. The people just sort of erupted with water that wouldn't stop, or grew ice crystals out of their own bodies. Ice that went right through the ship, or they seemed pulled apart by their own bones. He shook his head. No one had ever seen anything like that. Ido steepled his hands in front of his face. It must have been quite distressing. Jared tried to keep his face quiet. The word distressing seemed almost insulting in its understatement. Yes, sir. Well, Ido said after a moment, you handled yourself well. I understand that you elected to remove those officers yourself to prevent further damage to your ship. A decisive move that probably saved many lives. You should be proud. Again, Jared swallowed and tried to keep his face neutral. Didn't remove them, he thought, remembering the desperate scrabble over the bridge covered in ice to put a knife in Lieutenant Odebi's throat. Kicking Lieutenant Vihi through a hole in the hull. Anything to stop whatever was happening to them. But he stayed silent. Ido didn't seem to notice. Because of your quick thinking, I'd like to offer you a unique command opportunity. Jared felt deeply uncomfortable. Who gets rewarded for killing their colleagues? Captain, continued Ido, I have a, well, sort of a personal project I could use your help with. He flicked a switch under his desk, and a monochromatic green holographic image hovered over the surface. It was an unremarkable dwarf planet, rotating slowly, Ido's face highlighted occasionally by the ridges and valleys in stark relief. This is Explorer 3. There is a high probability of liquid water, organic material, including oil products, and, he paused dramatically, Jared could sense his excitement, lysergic acid diethylamide. Ido seemed to be waiting for a response, but Jared didn't know what that was. Ido sighed. It's a very important material for medical applications. It allows human tissue to regenerate at astonishing speeds under the right conditions. It can repair organic matter through a self-assembly process that's just shy of supernatural. It can't be synthesized, and it's only found in nature in tiny amounts. But Explorer 3 shows signs of free-flowing liquid material, volumes of it. Obviously, Ida was disappointed with Jared's lack of reaction. It sells for over half a million credits per liter. Jared let out a low whistle. Ido gave him a little self-satisfied smile. Yes. Explorer 3 has the potential to be extremely profitable for the service, and a very successful project for you and I. If you can make it work. There's one small hiccup, however. Ido leaned forward. The acid needs some kind of catalyst to activate. In its current configuration, it's inert. I need to know what the catalyst is. We also need to make the planet fit for colonization. He made a small, disgusted hand wave. Politics says that the only viable use of resources on this scale is for colonization. Mining and resource removal have to support terraforming activities if we want to get funding. He sighed. It's a terribly limited perspective, if you ask me, but there you have it. Ido stopped. Jared felt the abrupt pause and cleared his throat. I don't understand, sir. There you have what? I want you to run the terraform on Explorer 3 and take over mining operations. No need for some private corporation to get the acid and the catalyst before us. You'll have the full support of the service to lock down the strategic reserve, of course. And if you need additional resources, we can engage the guild. Y you want me to run a terraform? Jared was bewildered. But I'm an infantry captain. Who majored in history? Don't you have a scientist or an engineer or somebody who can do this? Ido smiled at him. But I like you, Captain, and I can offer you a promotion and a chance to stand still for a moment. A nice, cushy desktop, planet side, to give you a well to give you a well earned break. And it might serve to be a very profitable career change for you. Ido's tone was laden with meaning, and Jared felt a twinge of discomfort. But it would be nice not to be on a ship for a while, and it would be nice to be a major. And how bad could it be? It was a service-sanctioned position. He wouldn't have to hurt anyone. And it's not like a general would do anything shady. Well, I'd be honored to help you, sir. Excellent, excellent. Ido clapped his hands and flicked another switch. Jared heard the office door unlock, which meant that he hadn't noticed that Ido had locked him in. Another frisson of unease. A knock, and Corporal Nichols brought in a tray full of something steaming and properly cooked. 
not synthesized. Jared took a deep, appreciative breath. Here we are, Major. Congratulations. You and I are going to be great partners. Ido smiled at him. I'm looking forward to developing Explorer together. Fucking Ido. Jared came back to himself, soaking wet, hung over on the bottom of his shower. He moaned and made an actual effort to get himself together. Lying bastard.